Our reading today is going to be out of Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verses 18 through 31. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 18 through 31. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol, a craftsman casts it, goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is to impoverish for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot and seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them, and they wither, and the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me, that I would be his equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads them forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. He under, his understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the creator of all things, from the stuff smaller than atoms to immensities bigger than galaxies, from bacteria to blue whales, the creator of the heavens, the creator of our souls. Help us to hear these things, to know these things, to understand these things. Help us not to forget these things nor grow tired, nor stumble, but to remember and rejoice, to be strengthened and renewed, and to live all of our days in accordance with your will, to glorify the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Craven. I'm so glad you're here this morning. This is a perfect morning for you to be here. Uh, some of you have uh, come here with uh, deep burdens and confusion, and you've lost hope. You've lost a sense of perspective, and you wonder even if God cares, or can he do anything about your situation? We've been singing about the wonder of God, the beauty of God, and who he is. And we get to discover that afresh today when we talk about uh, the immensity of God. And if the, here's the lesson right here. 
So some of you who may be prepared to doze off. I know you. (laughs) Here's the lesson right here. God is so big that he can consume and control everything you face and give you hope and he can give you deliverance. And whatever you're currently trusting, it will prove to be invalid and incapable of uh, assisting you in your life's journey right now. And you need to know about the immensity of this God that we serve. Today is what we look at is the immensity of God. And that speaks of the greatness of God. We'll try to define that. I really think it's, uh, I really appreciate the fact that our pastor, Pastor Aaron, has uh, launched us off on this study of God. I've heard some of you already say that you've appreciated it so much. And he said to us in that first message that there are things that are our goals in this. One is that we would come to know God. You might think, well, of course I know God. Well, you do know God, but there is more to discover. I remember when I was a child, I used to um, tell mom, mom, I'm going to be out with the guys today in the mountains. That was in West Virginia. There are no mountains in West Virginia. (laughs) I have now gone through the evolving process of learning what mountains are. When I got married, I moved out to Montana, and we went up to Glacier National Park. And I was able then to re-identify those things I called mountains, and I called them hills. So they were. And then I came out here, and I discovered... um, Mount Rainier, and I thought, wow, <laughs> this is it. We've arrived, uh, only to uh, go on a trip to Nepal and go up on Buddha Airline and circle around Mount Everest, 29,029 feet. So I've been, I, I don't, if there are bigger mountains, I don't know about that, you know, there, but I have gone through this process. What I used to call mountains, not mountains, you know what I used to call God? is I've learned to know him more. He's bigger. He's more wonderful than I could ever imagine. And honestly, this journey that I'm on and that you're on, that we're on together of discovering who he is, I know that that journey is designed by God to never end. It is intended to be a habitual discovery of who God is. This is eternal life. Jesus says, that you may know. You may know the Son, you may know the Father. Eternal life is not measured in the length of time. It is measured in the quality of understanding of who God is. It makes sense to me that we have an infinite God who cannot be exhausted, and we have an infinite amount of time in the future. So all through the future, beginning now and on and on, It will be the habitual aha experience of discovering God. God, I didn't know this about you. You're more magnificent than I ever imagined. This is what Pastor Aaron has set us on this journey, to know God. To know that God is not like us. We have a propensity to try to reduce our God to manageable terms. 
We see this in the passage that we're looking at today, that we fashion gods with our own hands, and we have to pack them around and expect them to do something. It's absolutely foolish in that process. He also reminded us that we can know him, and we can know him through the word of God. We can know him through the person of Jesus Christ. We can know him in the experience of our lives. But it is the desire of God, it is the commitment of God to teach us who he is, that we might embrace him in that fullness. We've looked at some of those things already. We've looked at the fact of the infinitude of God. We've looked at the goodness of God, the justice of God. And last week, we talked about the mercy of God. Today, we talk about the immensity of God. It's a pretty audacious task that they've given me that I would define to you how big God is. The immensity of God. I love the way God defines himself, and it is, he uses terms, and we'll look at some of those this morning. But if, if I were to ask you to say, could you just tell me how great you are? Well, what would you do? What would you say? Well, just to give you an indication of how great I am, that is Mike Jones, I brought with me this morning a reward I got in high school for economics. Now, you may not know. Did you know that? I'm, <laughs> I'm somebody special. <laughs> and here it is. Now, if you don't think I think that's special, why would I still be packing around this stupid thing <laughs> that I've got? Because I'm searching for significance. I'm desperate for that process. I think, and, and I say that as an illustration to, to say how silly it is of us to trust anything that somehow we put significance on as a means to resolve that huge problem that we're facing, that debt of sin that is overwhelming us, and that we believe that we can manage all of that on our own and the accomplishments that we've had. Absolutely foolish. So where will we go this morning with our message so that you can know exactly where we are? There are four steps that we have in this. One is I'm going to try to define immensity, the immensity of God, the term immensity. I'm going to show you that the Bible addresses the immensity of God. And then I'm going to show you how God expresses his immensity in the word and the reason he does that. And I can tell you the reason he does that is because he wants you to know how big he is. He wants you to know that he can handle anything you're facing. And so he gives us some bold descriptions of that process. And then we'll finally conclude with the implications of that. What does it mean then if God is this powerful? I I, I, I love the fact that not only will we discover this morning that God is big and, and pervasive in our terms of where he is, and it's one thing to be big and to be powerful, but he's a God who cares. And this is what I love about the integration of all of the attributes of God, is that it's not, we don't separate those and and define him in that. He's the combination of all of these. And so when I speak of the power of God, if it's not available to us, if it's not uh, graciously provided for us, then what good is it to know about the power of God? So that's the reason we seek to define it and then to flow from there. The word immense, explained through terminologies that we use today, 
It signifies actually a state or thing that is incapable of being measured. (laughs) That's frustrating, isn't it? (laughs) My dad always asked me when I was growing up, he'd ask me this often, he said, "Uh, Mike, if you had all the feathers you could carry, could you carry one more? That bugged me, (laughs) you know? And now you say... I'm going to tell you how big God is, and I can't measure it. That seems frustrating to me. Well, we measure things in our world by three primary ways. We talk about the extension or out into space, how big it is that way. We also talk about time and duration. We talk about perfection, and we define God in these terms, infinity, eternal, and uh, we use these words to try to describe him. But God is really immeasurable in that sense. So different people have tried to discover how to express this. One has said it this way, the attribute, the immensity of God means that God is so magnificent and of such a magnitude that he fills fills everything with his presence and his being. He is above all and over all and exists that exists and has been created he is not uh, partial uh, you know partially in one place and then he goes to another place and then we try to measure him in that he's beyond all of that which i always thinks kind of interesting if god is immense and he is filling everything everywhere that sometimes we use this in our prayers god we invite you into our presence what a foolish prayer God is already there. He can only be there. What we really need to be praying is, God, please help us to recognize you are here and conduct ourselves in relationship to that. Wayne Grudem, who is a great theologian, he says, God cannot be contained by any space, no matter how large. Another theologian, John Feinberg, says, God cannot be limited to just one spatial location. For he transcends them all and is at all places at once. And this is where sometimes the attributes of God become a little overlapping because we talk about the omnipresence of God and we also talk about the immensity of God. Here we're trying to define who God is in relationship to everything. Another has defined it this, and I like this one. God is the circle without a circumference. That's interesting. But he is the center of every circle. I like that, don't you? That means you don't ever contain him. He's beyond containing, but he's always there. He's the center of every circle. Wherever the circle, there he is, there he is. He's always there in that sense. So when we speak of the immensity of God, we're talking about that which is immeasurable, that is uh, infinite in that sense, that is absolutely perfect, that is uh, really beyond measurement, so that we say, say, God, you've always been, and you're always everywhere, (laughs) and yet you're outside of all of that because you created all of that. Is that confusing to you? It really is to me. And and that's why I say it's rather audacious that I'm going to tell you that I can define God. 
but I can't understand enough about him as he defines himself in Scripture. And so just listen to me as I quote some of these verses that speaks of who God is in terms of his immensity. This was at the dedication of the temple when Solomon was giving this prayer. And he says this in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 27, God will indeed, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built. God, we built this house and say that you can dwell in, but that's foolish. The the earth, you're you're beyond the earth. Now we're going to describe that in a minute, uh, how huge that is. But but here is Solomon saying, uh, this is a figure of speech we're using here. You can't contain you. He uses that word there. You're higher than the heavens. They cannot contain you. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Now that verse bothers me, doesn't you? He sees everything. You know, we're going to think that we can hide in the darkness of the night and commit our sins and maybe he won't see. He's everywhere. He sees everything, both good and bad. And that's encouraging even in Acts chapter 17 and verse 24, it says that God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of the heaven and the earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands. This again is that expression. He can't be contained. Colossians 1.17 says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Ever wondered what keeps all of this together? You ever wondered what keeps your body together? <laughs> God does. What holds that, that the molecular cohesiveness, you know, that keeps it all together? If God withdraws his hand, you literally go to pieces. I mean, it's just the way it is. He, he contains everything, everything. And when we talk about everything, we're going to see the immensity of that, that God can do that when we measure it in just a few minutes. These are verses that just simply support the fact that God is immense. He says here in Matthew of chapter 18 and verse 20, for, there were, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there. I'm in your midst. I am, in this sense, everywhere. I like Psalm 139, which is probably one of the, you had, I had to toy between which passage to use, the Isaiah 40 passage or this one, but the richness of Psalm 139 is equally true. He says, talking about God, you scrutinize my path and my lying down and are immediately acquainted with all my ways. That's the immensity of God. He goes on in verse 5 to say, you have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. You're right there. You're everywhere. Before, behind, everywhere. Or he raises some questions here in verse 7 to 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, no matter where I go, you're there. I like what Isaiah says in 66, chapter verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, This is God speaking then through his prophet Isaiah. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. 
Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place where I may rest? One last proving verse that talks about the immensity of God. Jeremiah 23 says, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in a hiding place so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? Whether we understand it or not, it is stated as a truth in the Word, in the word of God, the immensity of God. So then we try to come to the expression of the immensity of God. Um, now, we can all do comparisons. I remember as a kid growing up, we were all Superman fans, and we would talk about Superman uh, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful. Come on, you guys know that. More powerful. Yeah. And able to... You know, see, you know, do you know how troubling it is what you're doing with me? Do you know you're telling me how great Superman is, but tell me about God. <laughs> but I used to, we used to think about that. This, and so we're talking about, when we're talking about Superman, well, he's like this, he's like this, and he's like this. And, and, and we hear men get around sometimes when they're talking about what they've accomplished in life. And, and we always hear that expression say, after somebody finishes something of a great accomplishment, and then they say, oh, that's nothing. And then they tell their story, what they did, and it's comparison of the process. But God stands up there and he says, okay, um, I'm as great as me. I'm as great as me. And then he begins to define himself. There is no basis of comparison. There's an expression of who he is, but he has nothing that is superior to him or greater than him. <laughs> I take great comfort in that. Nobody's going to overthrow him. Uh, we could go on saying that. So here in Isaiah, then, we have the, some of the expressions of the immensity of God. That is before this whole... Um, chapter 40 is a beautiful, beautiful worship chapter in Isaiah. And he's really talking about in the first part of the chapter is get the people ready to go out and celebrate God. God is calling his people back to himself and he's really exhorting them to understand who he is. He actually tells them to get out on top of a mountain. In verse 9, it says this. Look, look, stay with me in Isaiah chapter 40. Go there with me, and we're going to spend a little bit of time here. But he says right there, Get yourself on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, and do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. 
Do you know that's all we're really required to do in life? We're simply required to get up and say, this is my God. Talk about our God, who he is, what he's done. So this study that we're doing, the more we know about him, the more we talk about him, and the more we can declare him. Here he's saying, I'm, I'm telling you these things so that you can get on the mountain and with a boastfulness say, here is your God. He defines him in that following things here and defines him as a power of God who comes in might. Verse 10 also speaks him as a shepherd. I want him to come as my shepherd when he comes to me. I want him to talk to me in kindness of turn. I do not want to face his might or his power or his judgment. Then he comes down here to begin to help us understand this God that we're shouting out. Here is our God. And he tries to address the immensity of God. He says, who is this God that we're talking about? Verse 12, he's the one who measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. Now, God doesn't have hands as such. He's just trying to, he's using terminology that will help us understand how big he is. Well, you know, we read that expression. We say, well, he measures the, the, the waters in the hollow of his hand. He, he, just, he just rolls that water around in his hands. Now, how much water is there? A cup of water? A gallon of water? Certainly you're not talking about the Great Lakes, are you? Uh, <laughs> you're not talking about the Pacific Ocean. Janet, I just had the privilege of flying over half of that, going 500 miles an hour for five hours, and we only covered half of it, over on about 77, maybe 77 percent of something of the earth is covered by water. Do you know how much water's in the earth they measure, estimate? 400 million cubic miles of water. See, you can't even grasp that, can you? I'll give you one. A mile long, a mile high, and a mile deep, 400 million cubic miles of water is on the earth. <laughs> just fathom that. And he just rolls it around in his hand. He just rolls it around in his hand. And I come up to him and I say, God, I, I don't want to bother you, and I don't even know if you can handle this. Pardon me. I, yeah. And what was it that was bothering you here now? <laughs> the Atlantic, the Pacific, the Indian, all the great oceans, the Amazon, the Nile, the Mississippi, on and on. All the waters. Why is, why is, he, why is the God instructing Isaiah to say this? Because he's trying to illustrate his bigness, his vastness, how powerful and how big our God is. He's trying to express that to us by using terms that we can hopefully begin to grasp. But then he goes on in the same verse. And I love this. I mean, there's so much in verse 12. He just boom, 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 gives us a list here. He says, and marked off the heavens by the span. 
Now, a span is the distance from your pinky to your thumb. That's a span. Mine's not a very big span, you know. But you, some men have bigger spans. But but it's just saying this is a measurement. So he's it's not very big, you know. Maybe, but he measures all of the uh, marked off the heavens by the span. Well, now here's where it gets confusing, because we have to try to measure the size of the heavens, the universe. Here we go. We have the Milky Way galaxy. And they estimate that uh, the galaxy, our Milky Way galaxy, is 100,000 light years in size. Now, 100,000 light years in size means that light travels at 186,000 miles per second. So if you want to know how big our galaxy is, you have to go 186,000 by 60, and that's a minute, by 60, and that's an hour, by 24, that's a day, by 365, and that's a year. And we're talking about 100,000 light years across. <laughs> they don't, and I always love these exact terms that we use. They estimate that there's between 100 to 400 billion stars in our galaxies, in our Milky Way galaxy. Uh, now, for some that may be confused at this point, may I just say to you, that's a lot. <laughs> that's big. And we think about our nearest star, which is... You know about Superman? You don't know our nearest star? The sun. How far is the sun away from us? 93 million miles away. It's the most amazing thing God has done. I sat underneath that sun yesterday and got warm. 93 million miles away. Do you know how big the sun is? They estimated a million earths can fit inside it. That's just one little star. And they say that there's 100 to 400 billion stars in this galaxy. Now that's not it. That's not just the end of it. There is, they estimate that there could be as many as two trillion, that's a number you can't grasp either, unless you're talking about our national debt, but, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, you know, that's why I don't get up here very often, <laughs> uh, two, uh, that there's two trillion galaxies, now, now please understand the span, that's God's, as he said, and measure all of that. So let's just try to grasp a billion, okay? I'm not even going to go to the trillion. Let's just try to grasp a billion. Do you know how long it would take you to count to a billion? Uh, see, we're talking about 100 to 400 billion. That's why I'm doing all this. Do you know how long it would take you to count uh, to a billion if you counted every, every three seconds, another number. Now that's not hard at the beginning because you can go one, two, three, four, but then you get up to, you know, 649,244,600. That takes some time. If you did one every three seconds, how old would you be 
If you started at the point of your birth and never stopped, how old would you be when you finally got to a billion? You'd be, what, who said, what was it? You'd be dead? (laughs) Yeah. 95 point something years old. (laughs) That's a billion. That's a billion. Now remember, there could be 100 to 400 billion stars in our galaxy, and our star that we know that's the closest is 93 million miles away from us, and it's bigger than, than the Earth, and it can hold maybe a million of our Earths. That's pretty big. So maybe that was too hard to grasp. So let's just say you want to become a billionaire, and you decide to save $100 every day, <laughs> which is doable. Do you know how many years it would take you to get to a billion dollars? 27,397 years at $100 a day. That means then that your children, your grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren you're 304 generations away from you would finally get to the billion. <laughs> Why does God tell me that he uh, allow us with some of our, our uh, instruments that we have to measure? And, and, and now we don't even know, we can't even estimate, even, even by speculation, how big the universe is. And even expanding. But he says, I measure that this way. Why, why does he use this terminology? For one reason, he wants us to understand how big he is. He wants us to understand how immense he is. He wants us to grasp that as best we can. I could give you some other illustrations, but that's enough. And just in terms of size. I like to do that because it's just numbers that we never deal with. We just never deal with that. And I just left trillions out altogether. It goes on to say, and verse 12, and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure, and weighed the mountains in a balance. Now, we, we weigh things. We weigh things, you know, it used to be that that's the way we knew we were getting a fair deal. They had weights and measurements that would say, this is a pound, and then they would put a pound of hamburger in here. And if it balanced out, you knew you got a pound. No, we're talking about that kind of measurements. And now God is saying that I have a scale that is so big, you can put the Alps, you can put... You can put uh, Mount Everest. You can put all the mountains on the Olympic Peninsula. Just put them in there. All the put it in there. I'll measure it. That's pretty profound. I mean, I, I we're just a little teeny tiny speck in all of this thing called the universe. But you don't even have an idea how heavy this earth. I mean, how much mountains weigh and. Why does he do that? Why does he tell me that he has that? Because he wants me to know how big he is and how immense he is so that I could trust him in the midst of that. Well, he goes on to another area here, and that's, uh, he says, and who has, I, I like the questions he raised here, after giving a few illustrations of his greatness, verse 13, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or 
as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult or uh, gave him uh, the game understanding? And who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? God knew all of this. He was that. You know, I, I think that he's not as we do. We're firstborn. We have a lot of potential. We can learn a lot of things. God knows everything. He is not learning anything new. He has not forgotten anything. He exists in the eternal now. He is who he is, and he's not, it doesn't require great effort for him to be who he is. He just is. And nobody helped him get there. So he describes it further, verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Now, this is the interesting thing about Israel, which is a good illustration for it because Isaiah was dealing with the disobedient people and he was trying to uh, remind them that uh, they should trust God. But what they would do is they would go down and make, instead of trusting God, they would make some an alliance with the Egyptians or an alliance with the Assyrians and try to help protect them when all the time in their midst was God himself to do that. And so he says, you have, you, you put great emphasis on nations and he said, they're like a drop of water in a bucket. What are there? 1.4 billion Indians? 1.4 billion Chinese? 333 million Americans? 40 million Canadians? And the rest of the world. And he says, all of those that you think... And he says that even in the Psalms, the nations rise up against me. And he said, I laugh. I laugh. They're just a drop in the bucket. I do that sometime. Put a drop in the bucket and that's who they are. All right. So he's just trying to tell us how great he is. We've defined it. We've seen it illustrated. (laughs) I just have to point this out, though. So what does mankind do with all of that understanding that God has given to him? Verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? I mean, this is we describe who God is in this book. Well, who, to whom will you liken him? Well, what likeness will you compare with him? There is none. I've tried to tell you that. We can't. He is the standard. As for the idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, a silversmith, verse 19, fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He, um, he seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers and who stretches the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Here again, he goes back talking about that. In fact, if we really want to be impressed with God, if we go down to verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these stars. The one who leads from uh, them forth from uh, ho- their host by number. He calls them by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Uh, 
if we were to just count on the lowest estimate the number of stars that are in our Milky Way galaxy, if we assume that there's 100 billion, to count that many would take you uh, 9,759 years. Just to count them. He says, and I know their names. I'm impressed with that. You know, I, my kids growing up, sometimes I would go through the alphabet with them, you know. All right, now, Kim, so Mike, look, you know who you are. My mom used to do that. Now, Charlotte, Bobby, Mike, come on. If you live here, I'm going to figure out who you are, so you might as well tell me. Because we forget. And one time I was introducing Jen. I said, I want to introduce, uh, here's um, my first wife. (laughs) But God says, I've got all their names. Now, why would he say that? To boast? No, just to declare that this is the bigness of who he is. Point four, application implications. When I was sitting out, well, actually, I was sitting out in the hot tub about three months ago, about two o'clock in the morning. There was a clear night, and I was looking up at the stars. And I learned that, uh, again, reminding myself that they declare the glory of God. And I said, uh, God, you're so big. Just what I can see, we can't see very many stars out there. Not, you know, maybe on a, on a good night with assistance, we might be able to see 10,000 stars. That's it. And I said, you're so big, God. And I am so afraid of you. <laughs> and I am so glad you love me. And have expressed your grace to me. Because otherwise, I couldn't handle it. So here's the implication. We must never forget that the study of God's attributes is done for the purpose of worship. Are you in awe of the immensity of God today? I am. I am. Number two, knowing the immensity of God should humble us. You can recall Solomon's word in his prayer in which he, he flows out with humility, knowing that God doesn't need the temple that he has built, doesn't even dwell there. He can't. The heavens can't contain him. And I'm humbled to think that this God that we see is immense as he is, that we hear Paul saying, if God be for us, who can be against us? Our God for us, exercising all of that immensity for us. I raise a question here then in light of what we've talked about. What are you currently trying to do and what burden are you carrying in your own strength right now that could be resolved in releasing it to the immensity of God and His immeasurable love for you? God, I've been worrying a lot about my grandchildren. I don't know how they're ever going to come to know you. And I don't know what I'm going to do and how can I go about And then I stop and I say, oh, God, you love my grandchildren. You died for them. And why in the world am I sitting there 
wringing my hands in a spirit of anxiety when I can say, God, in all your power, move upon my grandchildren. Move upon my neighbors. Do something that only you can do for your glory. Release that. Some of you have carried the burden of a mate for a long time. And you just pack it around with you all the time. Give it to God. He's designed to handle that. He can do it. And by the way, as important as you think you are, he may use you, but he doesn't need you. Finances, health, whatever. Whatever it is. Uh, Some of you are consumed because you're watching too much news. You're consumed with anxiety over what's going on in the world. And all that's going on in the world, we've learned this morning, is a drop in a bucket. (laughs) I love it. I just read, uh, Jan and I were just reading through the Bible and just read through Isaiah. And God talks about Cyrus, who's going to become a great and powerful kingdom. And he talks about Cyrus before he was. How can God do that? Because he always lives in the eternal now. There's nothing unfolding. All right. Number four. Do you understand that all of God's attributes work in harmony? God's love, his mercy, his grace, immensity, his presence, his compassion. They're here right now. And they're always here. And they're here to help you. So when I learn about God's immensity, it has practical implications to trust, to trust Him, to release it to Him. Number five, cease letting the things you fashion and things you control be your God. Realize who God is and trust Him. We're always looking for horizontal gods, making those things. And they're as foolish as taking a piece of wood and packing it around and taking part of it and cook your dinner with it and the other part and make a god out of it. Number six, quit acting as if the outcome and success of your life depends on you. Acting this way is an insult to God and a direct reflection of your own ignorance. Well, that was kind of direct, wasn't it? (laughs) But it is. (laughs) God is who He is without effort. He just is. God is who He is without effort, and we were designed by Him to depend on Him for His glory. Start trusting that now. Pray with me, would you? I love what you say at the end of this chapter here, Lord, that they that wait upon the Lord, those that hope in you, those who trust in you, shall gain new strength. They'll gain a new perspective. They'll they'll gain um, everything that they need in regards to life, power, perspective, perseverance, And we can wait upon you, to hope in you, trust you.
God, I'm sorry that I've made too much of me and too little of you. I love seeing who you are because it brings me to humility that results in worshipful trust. I confess my sin, Lord, of designing false gods that are neither real nor reliable, and they rob me of celebrating you, the only true God. Lord, I commit my life to you. And I will dedicate the remaining years to follow hard after you. I realize that when I die to myself, I make my life available to you, which results in true worship. Please know, dear God, I love you. And I worship you. Amen. Amen.